is a very unique holiday when you stop and really think about it. As far as I know, nothing special ever happened on the first Thursday of November that actually affected this entire nation. No famous person was born on that fourth Thursday that I know of. No new continents were discovered in this world. No nations declared themselves independent. No presidents were born. No treaties were signed. No significant battles were fought. There aren't any special interest groups that we especially honor on the fourth Thursday of the month, like secretaries or moms or dads or laborers or veterans. And from a purely church point of view, this day also has absolutely no liturgical significance at all as far as the church is concerned. It isn't the beginning of some new season. No saints were martyred on this day. No waters were parted. No miracles were performed. No great outstanding pastor at First Lutheran was ever installed on this day. Now, the fact that a whole bunch of people had a picnic in the woods a number of years ago seems to me kind of a lame excuse for shutting down businesses and shutting down the school and the government offices all across the country. But every year in November, we make a pretty big deal out of celebrating nothing special. We travel for hours to gather with family members for a Thanksgiving Day feast. Recipes that have been passed down for generations are pulled out of that dusty old file box. The china and the silverware get hauled out of the china cabinet. A huge table is covered with a very nice cloth. So many trips are made to the grocery store just to buy the ingredients for this holiday feast. And by Wednesday night, most of our refrigerators are packed so full that it would really be hard to find whatever you were looking for should you choose to look. Most of Thursday will be spent, at least by the women, uh, in the kitchen cooking turkey or ham and stuffing and sweet potatoes and cranberry relish and homemade pumpkin pie. And you know, when you think about it, even the poor make out pretty good on Thanksgiving Day. Now, instead of a bowl of soup and and a piece of bread like they might normally get at a mission. There are always a bunch of people, a bunch of churches, a bunch of other people who always kind of deliver a bountiful meal, even to the homeless. Some agencies bring in big food baskets to people who otherwise would do without. It's the one night of the year, it seems, that we make sure that everybody goes to bed with a full stomach and has a little bit of leftovers for the next day. Now, tomorrow... Thursday morning, God willing, we're going to make a pretty big deal out of celebrating a day when nothing special ever really happened. Thanksgiving is a day that reminds us that gratitude is just a condition of the heart. It is not necessarily a response to anything special that happens in our life. Rather, it's a lifestyle that we're called to live. And after all, as Christ followers, doesn't our Bible say, be thankful? So what are we to do but be thankful? But, you know, when you examine Thanksgiving a little bit closer, and I did this year, you see that Thanksgiving Day really has three different faces. You're going to see this up on the screen. One is a historical face, one is a secular face, and one of them 
is actually scriptural. Let me talk a little bit about the historical side of this day. The historical side of this day is the pilgrim face. And I think you all know the story of the early American pilgrims who barely survived the first winter here in America and then celebrated their first summer uh, harvest with a feast. Now, the pilgrims came from England. They came here because of religious persecution. They came here to worship God the way they wanted to worship God, and they wanted to be able to worship without any restrictions whatsoever. And their faith really helped them through those initial hardships. In 1620, I don't know if you know this, and as a former U.S. history teacher in high school, I know these kinds of things. When the Mayflower landed, there were 102 people in their community. But due to starvation that first year, harsh weather, and some rather hostile Indians, 51 of those people died that winter. In fact, they buried those 51 people in unmarked graves because they didn't want the Native Americans to know how small their numbers were and how vulnerable they really were. In the spring of their first year, they planted just three crops, none of which sound all that good to me. They planted English peas, they planted barley, and they planted Indian corn. Only the Indian corn grew. This corn was not those big, plump, yellow ears of corn that we enjoy roasted and slathered with butter. These ears were about two to three inches long, and they were hard, and they had kernels of all different kinds. Now, that first Thanksgiving, and most of you got a general idea what that looks like because Probably in grade school, they dressed you up like a pilgrim or an Indian. And you celebrated what really is a myth. You celebrated what really was a legend. I mean, few people realize that the pilgrims may have celebrated Thanksgiving once, but they never, ever celebrated it the next year or any year after that, in fact. Although history does say that they decided after a couple of years to celebrate Poor Father's Day but they chose to celebrate that on December 18th or 19th or 20th or 21st or 22nd or whenever they got around to it. Now, the pilgrims only harvested about 20 acres uh, the first year, and to top it off, halfway through the harvest, 35 additional settlers showed up with nothing in their hands because they were counting on the bounty of that first group to feed them through. By the end of their second winter here in America, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, food was so short that they rationed out five kernels of corn per person per day. Now, with all of that that happened, the pilgrims had very little for which to give thanks. Their food supplies were low. And that's why the Native American friends supplied so much on their table that very first day. And I'm sure at that very first Thanksgiving, no matter what it looked like, they probably had some sad faces. They probably missed their moms and dads or their husbands or wives or their children who died during that very first harsh winter. And yet, in spite of it all, in spite of it all, they gathered around and what did they do? they gave thanks to God. That's the historical side of Thanksgiving. Let me talk a little bit about the secular side of Thanksgiving. This really has reference to the national holiday 
authorized by Congress as a day away from work and business as usual. It was President George Washington who first established this way back in 1789. But guess what? Every time a president actually decides to do something, everybody kind of crabs about it, don't they? And that's exactly what happened. They said no president should make the whole country do anything. We should let every state decide what they want to do. And so Thanksgiving was celebrated here and there, but not everywhere. It wasn't until 1827 that Thanksgiving Day as we know it was proclaimed by Congress. It was the third Thursday of November for all states. Beginning that year, though, there was a wonderful lady by the name of Sarah Josepha Hale who began lobbying the presidents to see if she couldn't convince them to make it a national holiday, but her lobbying, evidently she didn't have enough money like today's lobbyists, uh, it fell on deaf ears until 1863. Now, you all probably know who was president in 1863. Some of you were around back then. I won't mention names. But at that time, Abraham Lincoln uh, declared the last Thursday of every November to be observed as the national Thanksgiving Day holiday. I want to read to you just a little bit of his initial Thanksgiving decree. Lincoln said, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Now, it was not until 1941, which gets a little closer to some of our birthdays, that Congress actually approved a national day of thanksgiving, and they said it would be on the fourth Thursday of every November. Now, one part I left out of the secular side is this. Thanksgiving Day marks the day before what we now call Black Friday. That's the secular side. You know, we don't even wait for Santa to show up anymore. You know, Santa some year, I'm sure, is going to come in in shorts on the 4th of July. I just know it. But that's what Thanksgiving is. It's kind of a day of rest so we can get up the next morning and shop till we drop. Well, let's talk a little bit about the scriptural side. After all, that's why we're gathered here this evening. Some of you are probably wondering, I wonder if you'll actually get around to something that makes sense on a Thanksgiving Eve. Well, the scriptural side of our National Thanksgiving Day celebration reaches way beyond 1793 or 1941 or 1863. It actually goes back to our, some of our earliest religious roots several thousand years ago. And it reflects God's reminder to his people to give thanks for the many blessings that they actually have in life. I think the essence of what Thanksgiving is all about is perhaps best summed up in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God tells people what Thanksgiving really is all about. You may remember the setting of Deuteronomy 8. If not, let me refresh your memory. This was a period of time in the history of the Hebrew nation that was very much like the history of our early American pilgrims. 
The children of Israel had suffered for 40 years wandering through the wilderness to reach the promised land of Israel. They had finally made it just to the shores of the Jordan River and were ready to cross over into this land that God prepared for them that he called the land flowing with milk and honey. And as they sat there ready to go into the land, they gathered together to celebrate, but even more important, what they did was to remember who gave them their freedom from the Egyptians, to remember their blessings that they had received, and to remember to whom they owed devoted praise and service. Let me read to you these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, but then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vine and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Now, going back to the American pilgrims, we can see now that they gave thanks for what they had without bothering to consider what they didn't have. I really wish I'd have made a copy for you all tonight of a devotional piece that my former associate pastor, my last church, wrote this last week. It's called Giving Thanks for What You Don't Have. It's really very good. You see, no matter what the pilgrims had or what the Israelites had, they paused at Thanksgiving to affirm that what they had was enough. It was enough regardless of what they didn't have, regardless of what they may have even lost. On that day, they expressed gratitude with the feeling that they had abundance in their lives because of what they had. And they didn't sit around and moan and groan because of stuff they didn't have. It's only when we believe we have enough that we're truly grateful. Having enough is a matter determined by one's heart and soul, not by how much money we have or by what others have. Godliness, as they say, with contentment is great gain. 
I think the difference between people who operate from the principle of abundance and those who live by the principle of scarcity is that some people approach life with an attitude that always says, there's never enough. I don't have enough. There's not enough love in this world. There's not enough esteem in this world. There's not enough money in this world. Therefore, anything I can get a hold of, I'm just going to grab and I'm going to hang on to and I'm going to hoard it. I think grateful people approach life with an attitude that assumes that there is more than enough for everybody. There's more than enough money. There is more than enough love. There's more than enough esteem. So we can decide to be open-handed and open-hearted as an act of faithfulness rather than comparing ourselves to everyone else. Instead of being tight-fisted and self-protective, we can learn to follow Christ's example and be free and generous and grateful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9.15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I think we read that somewhere in the service tonight. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes when I read scripture, I ask questions after I read it. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, period. My question is what? What is this gift? What is this unspeakable gift for which we are to give thanks? Let me give you a few examples. Anybody ever hear of John 3.16? You know, it's that thing they hold up at football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gift for which we should give thanks. Or if you prefer, you can move into the book of Romans where Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What are we to be thankful for? The gift of God through Jesus Christ. Or if you want to move a little further into the Bible, in James chapter 1, in the 17th verse where James, the brother of Jesus, says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither is there any shadow of turning. Give thanks to God for his great gift, the gift of his son Jesus and the salvation that he earns for us. I don't know about you, but I have a lot to be thankful for, and it's not just this Thanksgiving. I have a lot to be thankful for each and every day. And quite honestly, if all I had was Jesus, that's all I'd need. Thankful not just today, thankful not just tomorrow, but thankful every day. Three of my favorite Bible passages talk about being thankful in all circumstances. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I get to see my wife sitting front and center. I give thanks always for you, Nancy. I'm sorry I don't say it sometimes as often as I should. I see my son and his wife. I give thanks for you, Eric and Cheryl, not just because you helped your 
Dad tonight, but I give thanks for you. And tomorrow I'm going to give thanks for Terry and Josh. I give thanks for you, the members of First Lutheran Church, who take the chance on an old guy and invite him to be your pastor. Give thanks to God in all things. And we could go on and on. Give thanks for the deer sausage, Dee. Give thanks for the little bag of pecans, Jimmy and Sherry. <laughs> give thanks, Wayne. I give thanks for you. A little sheet of paper you put on my desk today and the work that that involved. Vicki, I give thanks to God for you. We could go on and on, couldn't we? Give thanks to God always for all things. Or if you don't like that passage, try 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a passage you often hear at the tail end of a funeral service. When we're standing around and mourning the loss of someone, when we could be very thankful that God has given them the ultimate healing and taken them home. Or how about 2 Corinthians chapter 2.14? I end with this one. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Thank you, God, for allowing me to share Jesus. In your worship folder, there's an acknowledgement of overflowing blessings. You've sat long enough. Let's stand and let's start.